how how what's your plan for this? I mean, are we gonna go into this pretending that we don't know anything about season two and beyond, or even episode two and beyond, or are we gonna kind of talk with the knowledge we do have, or a little bit of both? I think we. I mean, I think we have to talk with the knowledge we have, right? Because I don't know. It'd be one thing if we were if we'd started from season, the podcast from season one, but I think going back and rewatching and, it, and reflecting on it like this, we can't help but have the insight. And I actually think that'll make it more interesting because we'll talk about how things that happen, color, how we view, you know, things that happen apocalypse and vice versa too. Um, and I think, you know, I think yeah. honestly one of the most interesting things will just be like last year, like comparing, you know, where the show, what, what's changed about the show from now to then. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Ready to go? <clears throat> yeah, let's do it. <clears throat> Good evening, everybody, and welcome to This American Horror Story, an unofficial podcast about the FX hit show, American Horror Story. I am your host, Tyler Moss, here with my co-host. Chris Husted. What's up, everyone? Welcome back. We're Welcome here. back. Welcome back. Uh, as any of you know who listened to our preview pod last week, we are, in fact, spending this season, um, you know, we, we had hoped to be reviewing American Horror Story season uh, you know, the, the upcoming season that had been previewed with Macaulay Culkin and all that type of stuff, you know, about right now. Um, but unfortunately, that season has been delayed until 2021. So instead, we decided that we are going back and re-watching season one of American Horror Story uh, Murder House. Because Chris and I started this podcast, funny enough, in season two. We had watched season one, but we didn't actually start the podcast till season two. So there's a lot... Um, you know, it's something that a lot of people have suggested we do in the past, and we were like, well, we finally have the time, we miss this community, let's finally get down to business and do it. So we are thrilled to be back with you. Uh, this is episode one, season one, uh, covering the pilot of American Horror Story Murder House. How does it feel to be back, Chris? It feels really great, and I want to I want to extend a warm welcome to anyone who's just discovering American Horror Story and stumbling upon our podcast to try season one, episode one. Um, it feels good. It feels like the apocalypse did happen. We're in 2020 right now, and life sure is a different. <laughs> I hope every one of our listeners is safe out there. Um, but it feels good to be back in a comforting place, even though it's full of murder, the murder house. There is something very comforting about that and something nostalgic about it, and I'm really excited to dig into that with you. Before we begin, there's a couple things we need to touch on. The first one I wanted to say is uh, you and I talked about, you know, there might be people who have actually not watched American Horror Story seasons in order and may have never watched Murder House before. Um, the way we are going to approach the season, however, is bringing in all of our knowledge from, you know, future seasons and we might even accidentally i think you know reveal some of the things that happen i think we're going to try to maybe we can try to avoid like really big spoilers um from season one like any, yeah. any big twist maybe we can kind of talk around but inevitably i think when we're talking about characters and things there might be some foreshadowing uh that people are not a big fan of so if you've never watched season one um just be on watch out and we, we're probably going to reference past seasons as well so just just know that going in um in case you're somebody you know one of those folks who really is is not about spoilers um, another thing i wanted to mention is how we're going to be doing this um because obviously the New, new episodes are not dropping every week because they already are all out on Netflix. Um, we are going to be publishing a new podcast every Thursday is our plan. We'll probably be skipping the week of Thanksgiving, so that'll carry us into December. Um, we'll be going through Halloween. It'll be a blast. We're really excited about it. Um, and as always, we encourage everybody to, if you have comments or you want to like get involved in our discussion, to reach out to us at thisamericanhorrorstory at gmail.com or comment uh, on Facebook, send us a message, whatever. We love to get other people's voices in here too. And, you know, we encourage you all to uh, rewatch or watch for the first time season one with us. So with that being said, Chris, uh, what are you drinking this evening? This is, this is kind of how we started every episode is with a little bit of a cocktail and it is perfect right now because it's happy hour. It is. I like this. Normally we're recording these at, you know, 11 midnight until 1 a.m. So we're drinking, but uh, it's kind of hard to do that as we're getting older. <laughs> um, so we're doing this on as a, a happy hour. And for happy hour today, 
I'm having a at 5 p.m. over where I live a Sauvignon Blanc 2017 um, Sauvignon Blanc from the Franciscan Winery in Napa, my hometown. Ooh, fancy! I'm having yeah. What are you drinking? I'm having my favorite cocktail, which is a Negroni. So cheers to you, mm-hmm. and cheers to everybody else out there. Whether you're having, you know, an alcoholic drink or a cup of coffee or wherever you're listening to this, even if you're on a run. We're happy to have you here with us. Um, Now, Chris, before we really dive into the pilot of American Horror Story, I wanted to point out one thing that I think is going to probably be coloring your perspective on this season. Because obviously, after having rewatched season one, it's very clear themes about pregnancy and babies and those type of things are very much on the forefront of kind of um, what the season's all about. I mean, they're a theme, you know. And uh, you have something to share that might, um, you know, offer, you know, have changed your perspective from this season to, the, you know, last season. So can you share? Yeah, this is that's true. Um, a lot has happened since last year when we finished wrapped up the last season of 1984. Um, I had a baby. Uh, I have a brand new. I think she uh, she's about two months old now. Her name is Helena. Uh, two month baby baby girl Aww. in my life now, and it's amazing, and I love it. And I I would have shared it sooner probably on the podcast, but we didn't have any episodes to do while we were uh, away. So um, yeah, so that's definitely after even watching episode one, I have a lot more feelings about this season than <laughs> I I did probably when I first watched it. Uh, so that's definitely going to shade a lot of how I feel and respond to things. And another thing I think is really cool is like, I don't know, maybe she'll stumble across this podcast, you know, in 18 years when she's old enough to listen to this. 13 years, 12 years, 10 years. <laughs> right. Uh, and it's kind of cool, like maybe a little sort of like a little time capsule of her dad and her dad's friend and, you know, what life was like in 2020 and what we're going through. So, um, yeah, if you listen to this, Helena... Hello, your dad loves you. Well, (laughs) well, congratulations to you guys and cheers to that, obviously. Thank you. Thank you. And, uh, you know, I do think that that uh, might add a whole additional layer of horror, uh, excuse me, of horror to this season for you. So I'm excited to discuss that part of it with you. Let's do it. So let's talk season one. Obviously, um, first thing I wanted to point out is the pilot was directed by Ryan Murphy, written by Ryan Murphy and Brad Falchuk. So, you know, we're obviously starting with our show creators here, which is, is quite fun. So right, I read also that they um, had started th- developing this before they did Glee. Really, I don't know that so I this, even is, knew that. this is some. This has been in the works for. I think it's something that he, Ryan Murphy for sure wanted to do for a while. So because this episode, yeah, this, is, this show premiered in 2011, and Glee I think was a little bit older than that, even right. Yeah, I believe so. I think Glee started a couple years before that. Yeah, so so interesting. Yeah, that's interesting insight. But obviously, they always had a hankering. 2009. Um, so we were were thrilled that they did. Um, so let's talk about the cold open because I th- feel like of all the openings of any season, it's still among maybe the most iconic, really. Um, you know, yeah. We, the year is 1978, um, and we're opening with our first glimpse of, of Adelaide, of Jamie Brewer. Um, and it's obviously not actually Jamie Brewer, it's her character, you know, as a younger child. Younger. Um, lingering outside the murder house as the, the iconic twins with the baseball bats, you know, come. Uh, stomping in and, and she starts with that that first line that we hear so many times in this season you're going to die in there um and, well in different variations but so spooky so eerie i mean classic i remember how in the original watching of the show that this opening really drew me in um also these it's also kind of funny how this opening scene really kind of married the tone of the show moving forward when we're talking about like horror but also like some humor and comedy and you know what i mean like the kid the kids definitely the kid just like whacks the tree and he's like i hate trees it's just i love that line so much i forgot i don't even i don't think it even hit me when i first listened or watched the episode way back when but i i paused it i hate trees <laughs> i wonder if that was improv i hope so i mean i wrote even i wrote in my notes i was like i forgot what little shits these kids are and yeah, yeah. <laughs> Who hates trees? Yeah. <laughs> and this is the first time that we see this in future seasons and maybe again even in this season. We get that kind of incongruent music because we get kind of like the playful, almost like kids singing music as these kids are like walking around smashing things in the horror house, in the murder house. Um, but it doesn't really turn into actual horror and, until they stumble across the dead possum with the throat slashed in the mm-hmm. basement. Um, of course, they're coming across all the jars of human body parts, which is something we learn more about later in the season. Um there's something about the poppets the kids are dropping that are kind of unsettling, just like the... the is snapper. that what you call them? I call them snappers. 
the little firecrackers that you th- slow on, throw on the ground and they go. Bop. Yeah, I mean, these the poppers sound they right. Might, well, poppers. They might just be different brands. <laughs> yeah, maybe they're different brands of, of them. But you know what? Yeah, people know what we're talking about. The little yeah. firework things that you throw on the ground and they make a popping sound. There's something that's kind of creepy about it as they're doing, going around throwing those things. Um, and then of course, you know, watching this for the first time, you're thinking this strange human-like creature comes out and, and kills the kids. Um, it's it's unsettling. I mean, before though the cold open includes our first view of the Harmons as well, but before we get to that point, True. I want to just talk about, you know, what it was like for you rewatching this scene and kind of remembering how it was the first time you watched the show. When I first watched the show, I remember it seeming a lot longer, to be honest, because um, that the whole story stuck in my head for a long time years later and it just seemed like its own mini movie. And it still feels like that. Um, albeit now the pacing's much faster than I remembered. And I, you know, I, I really enjoyed it. It's its own vignette horror, uh, um, film, um, really condensed tightly, which is sometimes the pacing of, of American horror story. Um, so I, I thought it was fantastic. I really liked it. I forgot. And I remember later on that this song comes back, but the song that gets played while they're smashing all the furniture and the fixtures in the house um, is called Tonight You Belong to Me. Mm-hmm. And that song gets... we you know, I looked it up to, to make sure of this, but we hear that song four times throughout American Horror Story in four episodes. So this is our first taste of that. It's a perfect song, I think, to kind of set the eerie tone. Those, the, the kids singing songs in like 1920s style uh, genre is always creepy, man. Oh, oh that's just... Creepy as hell, yeah. And it... I, the, I, go ahead. I would say it reminds me of like the tiptoe through the tulips that you hear in a lot of horror movies. Those songs are just, ooh, that's a lot. Oh. Um, so the second time around, I'd forgotten that that was in this in this sequence, and it was fantastic. It worked really well. Um, the kids are absolutely little shits, um, just as bad as I remember them, if not worse. Um, uh, uh, Troy and Brian were their names, which is hilarious. <laughs> um, and then another thing that stuck with me... Um, or that I didn't really remember was the use of those little snappers or the poppers. Um, it's a it's a kind of a horror technique that's used uh, often, device that's used where you have a constant uh, sound, auditory, um, consistently occurring, and then you pull it away and you realize something's ha- has happened, something's disappeared, or a light ke- constantly uh, flashes, and then once it stops, you know something has happened. It's a very eerie way to set the mood and they do a good job in this with the little firecracker things uh when the brother was leaving because we follow him out when they're done with this place and the guy goes the younger or whatever one of them goes up the stairs and we hear the 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 silence the popping stops yeah uh, and then we then we get the flashes of the horror and the the, the monster which we don't really get a good glimpse of um but just enough that you know it's kind of a human figure mm-hmm. or a silhouette uh, charging him, and that was a great way to end it. I'm, and I was surprised that we went right to Harmon's after that. I thought that was going to be the beginning, but, but, um, but overall, a f- fantastic opening for a pilot episode. What are your thoughts? No, I, I totally agree with you, and it, 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 kind of what I had said before. I do think it is they did such a good job in this pilot of setting the tone for what the whole season would be, and really, when you think about future seasons, what the what the show would be, and kind of the the combination of you know, humor and what we've called, you know, campiness in the past, along with the horror aspects. And this is something that I wanted to mention, excuse me, in this particular season that we've talked about in, in retrospect. And I want us to think about as we rewatch this season, and I think this is a good enough time to bring it up because when you're watching this, this cold open, you do get kind of those horror vibes. And in my memory, and I'm curious to hear if this is the same for you, Murder House is the most scary season in my mind. I remember it as being the most scary season. And as I'm rewatching this, I'm trying to think to myself, why is it that I remember that being the most scary season? Is that actually true? And what what you know, what made it that way, I guess? And is there something that was different about this season that other seasons, you know, was not the case? Um, curious to hear your thoughts on that. I absolutely agree with you. I think it was a scary season. I think other seasons have moments of uh, kind of horror trope fear, like jump scares or, and, and like eeriness. 
Um, I think this season is the most scariest, the, the most scary, <laughs> because of our characters. Um, when I rewatch this, we'll talk about it, but the scene where Ben and Vivian are fighting and it's all emotional over the miscarriage and their experience dealing with their grief that's so real and raw that these characters just you know really feel like something as opposed to later on down the road the seasons get way more campy and we're not as invested in the characters that's actually a really interesting point and i want to i think we should keep an eye on that going forward is in a lot of ways at least you know upon like immediate reflection season one of american horror story had the most normal relatable characters we have fantastic characters in future seasons but they're not necessarily mm-hmm. like as an individual you know when you're watching a horror movie a lot of times you're, you're like imagining yourself in that person's situation and when you have you know some of these phenomenal characters but also like over-the-top characters in future seasons um you know even thinking back to our campers in just last season in 1984 it does feel exaggerated and so there is something mm-hmm. about you know the characters here that are very it's that much more human that i think maybe maybe you're onto something there i don't want to keep an eye on that as we go forward that's a good insight yeah uh so you know in this cold open we then jump to 2011 um where we're on the east coast somewhere i believe we're kind of in the new england area if i'm remembering correctly i don't know if you remember where the Harmons moved from exactly um, i believe boston that's what i thought too um because i think we which is where you are <laughs> I know. I actually... You should know. I should know. Um, now, we're opening, of course, with Vivian Harmon kind of in the stirrups. She's with the OBGYN, I guess OB. it would be. Yeah, at that point. And yeah. She has a quote. Her gynecologist. Yeah. She has a quote here that I think really kind of also sets the tone for the season. And also, if you like, you know, when we think back on the murder house where she says, your body is like a... Or maybe it's a doctor who says this. Your body is like a house. You can fix the foundation and the tiles, and he kind of goes up, says, etc. But if the foundation is decaying, you're wasting your time. Um, and we get a lot of house metaphors, and, and like a lot of talk about the house is mm-hmm. living, even in this initial episode. Yeah, I, I, I took note of that too. That did not, I did not remember that obviously the first time around because you know doctors using analogies, it's fine. But knowing that we're going to spend time in this house, um, Vivian saying, "I'm not a house." Uh, is interesting also because foreshadowing what she ultimately houses in her body um, throughout the season is going to be, I mean, she's it's foreshadowing. Absolutely. And then, of course, we get the scene where this is where the cold open does end, where she returns home. You know, she's terrified by a noise in the house, grabs a knife, only to find out that Ben Harmon is upstairs. Uh, I don't, what is the word she uses later in the episode? Railing or something like that. Uh, Pile driving. Pile driving uh, Hayden, his student, um, in the bedroom. Of course, we don't actually see that happening. We just see him immediately becoming remorseful and running out into the hall and begging for her forgiveness before she slashes him. But man, uh, so much happens in this cold open before we even get to the credit sequence. It's pretty incredible. It's great. I love it. Yeah, rarely do we get two kind of stories in a cold open. I, I can't think of any of offhand. This one, obviously... The standard uh, American Horror Story is the opening with, you know, one story. But to sell this show as a pilot, you got to throw your main characters in. And otherwise, people might not want to come and see what happens next. Mm-hmm. It has a hell of a hook. It really does pick you up right in the mm-hmm. first beginning of the pilot episode. Um, and then, of course, we get our first title sequence ever of any season. And, yeah. And it's got the creepy photos of, like, the old, you know, uh, photos of the kids. And it's got the jars of human body parts. And it's, I mean... It is, it is very uh, disturbing, but it's also like very nostalgic when you think about all the different seasons we've seen and how we've... Found. I know. I, mm. yeah. It's classic. I, what I, when we were watching it, it's just so happy and felt like, oh, I'm, I'm at home again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it does kind of have that feeling. It also... And, and I think this season more than others, some seasons it gets a little too kooky, but... Um, and... and um, non sequitur with some of their images because that we don't ever end up seeing. But this one, the the title sequence kind of paints the picture of what we're going to be dealing with uh, story wise. Um, you know, we're in the basement for I think most of it, seeing the jars, and that's really telling us what what this uh, season's about. Mm-hmm. And that's all these the weird stuff that's going to go on in the house. Um, I'll I'll say one thing I noted that I didn't pay attention to last time was. You know, when you see the title credits for people, you see all the names of the actors, 
and then you sit you see with so-and-so and usually that's kind of like the featured person and it's always Jessica Lange if Jessica Lange is in the show because it's often again the featured most famous accomplished actor or actress um, I'm using actors kind of interchangeable catch up yeah um but um and there are different reasons why shows do that I'm sure people our listeners who are in the business know how you get picked to do that but um, I never realized that Dennis O'Hare is mentioned in that, um, in that along with Jessica Lange. So with Dennis O'Hare and Jessica Lange. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so he's kind of given that, yeah, stature. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's an interesting point too. Um, and of course, from this opening scene, you know, into the actual, the, the I guess meat of the episode, we fast forward six months to the Harmons driving into L.A. So we realize right away they stay together, obviously. Um, and there was something, I, there's something even now watching this scene and them driving into LA and thinking about our current state of affairs with like the forest fires in Los Angeles and everything like that. And it makes you just think about, I don't know, like California in so many ways being kind of a hellscape on its own. It adds some eeriness to it for me. I don't know if you felt that too. I mean, you're from California, so I imagine you feel that even more. Yeah, definitely. Also, you know, with the pandemic happening, um, a lot of people move in places to get out of other places. Um, so it's, it's, it's eerie in general and it, it, it paints a whole different uh, backdrop if we're thinking about present day, because it doesn't tell us a year, it just says today. So, mm-hmm. you know, we're experiencing the, this difference in 2020 than we did in 2011 when we watched it. Mm-hmm. And there's two more things that I just wanted to note from kind of this, the sequence we see. One of them is, man, I hate Ben's fedora so much. They're really Working, they're, work, they're working hard to paint him as a douchebag, and they're accomplishing it. <laughs> That's what I can say. <laughs> yeah, I think those were those went out of style in like 2007 or 8. <laughs> were they ever in style? Let's ask ourselves that. <laughs> <laughs> Jason Raz has a bone to pick with you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm his. So, um, and, <laughs> and the other nice. thing was once they get to the house and they're talking with the realtor and everything like that, um, the comment that um, Vivian is a cellist that was not something I remembered when they talk about the music didn't room. remember that yeah so that was like uh, you know that's something I think I'm going to point out there's like little things that I don't remember that I'm going to be curious if those add additional color to the story as we watch right now um the other thing, you know, as we kind of see here, the, the next kind of scene that I have noted, and jump in if you have other things that you want to talk about as well as we go along, because I'm not going to do maybe as much of the kind of point-by-point plot recap as we normally do in a regular season, because, you know, we are re-watching, and we've seen a lot of this before. I want to talk more about concepts, you know what I mean, and, and yeah. impressions okay. we're getting as we watch things. So the next thing that I'm jumping to is Violet in her first interaction at school. And first of mm-hmm. all, I want like pointing out her fashion is something that I think we need to talk about because this is something that becomes so consistent throughout future seasons of American Horror Story. Is like the fashion is such a statement of it, and I mean, especially thinking of like Coven, you know what I mean, is where I feel like we hit like peak fashion with all the the witches in the Coven. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you really kind of get the first taste of that, I guess, here, where she's got like the cool hat and everything like that. She's she's smoking she's like the cool kid at school and her first interaction with that smoking anti-smoking bully at school is it really paints her as such a such a badass um mm-hmm. and when you think about it too you know in throughout this episode we get reinforced multiple times vivian's uh, kind of disgust for chemicals she talks about it in the laundry she talks about it at the doctor all those type of things it really kind of makes violet's act of smoking that much more an act of rebellion too when you think about it it's kind mm. of a contrast with her mother very good point. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, her mom tries to be all natural. We hear multiple times. Um, yeah, and, and and smoking's the worst. It's quite the uh, opposite of of adhere. Unless she's smoking American spirits. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, of course, thinking about as we move forward and get our introduction to Constance, which is such a moment in my mind. Even mm. even looking back, um, it begins with Adelaide sneaking into the house while Vivian is uncovering the portraits. Um, and I believe, you'll have to help me recall this, I believe we saw a lot of these portraits again in Apocalypse um, in some of the scenes we had in the murder house um, as uh, I think Michael was growing up and stuff like that. I think they cover them. Um, but one thing I, I that I was kind of thinking about here is so Adelaide first appears in the cold open in 1978, right? 
I think we could guess there mm-hmm. she's probably roughly eight years old. Or younger, yeah. I mean, eight, six, but that would still put her around 30 years old if we're jumping to 2011. So yeah. I, I guess in, yeah. in my mind, I, would, I always thought of her as younger. But then when you're thinking about Constance as being probably, I think I looked up Jessica Lange's age, and roughly at this point in time, she was in her mid-60s when this season mm-hmm. started. I mean, the timeline adds up, and, that, and I mean, that kind of does make sense. Um, but it wasn't something I had remembered. In my mind, Adelaide was like, I don't know. 16 or something like that you know yeah a teen yeah yeah that's true that's a good point she's she is an adult Mm -hmm. and we don't uh, you know it gets confused because obviously we have a revelation about tate and stuff later but kind of i don't remember the order of children and stuff like that in in terms of of those are things we can talk about later episodes but it was that, that was just something that occurred to me there i mean of course they're talking about uh you know constance comes kind of sweeps into the kitchen or the drawing room. I don't remember exactly which room they're in when she comes in for the first time here um, to fetch Adelaide and kind of introduce herself. And it is such a moment. You really, watching Jessica Lange, you just are kind of reminded about the gravitas that she just has as an actress in every role she played in Americans in Horror Story. But Constance specifically just has that She body just to commands. Her. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I loved it. As soon as she walked in, it was just... Not that I forgot that she's in this, but... Um, just how your eye is drawn to her and her the way she delivers her <laughs> casual racism or her, her or she would have gotten an abortion demeanor. she would have gotten an abortion if things had been different yeah Colin, if they had one of those tests that, yeah it was just like calling like, Adelaide God. the mongoloid I mean yeah she's it, it, she like these lines are so sharp and so incisive and she delivers them in such mm-hmm. a way that it's I mean it's like she's saying awful things but it's also she's like an endearing character it's it, it's kind of that juxtaposition well, and this is like kind of a tempered look at some of that sharp tongue wit that often floods uh, Ryan Murphy shows with those sassy girls, uh, teenage girls or whatever that are just dropping references and being mean girls. Um, Constance is a mean girl, essentially, but she's just it's delivered with kind of a classy... Um, refined uh, a sense and not just trying to be kind of when we get in the coven and they all get a little more clippy with each other. Right. Um, this is, this is good dialogue and writing that doesn't feel too campy or over the top. She already is camping over the top because she's a Southern Virginia woman living in LA who tried to make it as an actress, which is a great character, but it doesn't go too far. Mm-hmm. It, it, she, and that's, that's Jessica Lang. But I think it's also the restraint in writing that we have in season one, which was nice. I, I absolutely agree with you. I think the writing's tighter and I think that she does such a great job of selling the character that it doesn't seem, it doesn't seem over the top, even though it could, it really could put in the wrong hands, but I don't think it does in hers. And, there's another line I wrote down. She has the one where she's talking about the dogs, and she says something like, "You know, I adore purebreds." And I, I said to him, uh, like in my mm-hmm. notes, like I forgot that Constance had, she kind of has like a bit of a white nationalist vibe, which feels more potent nowadays too. But it is said in such like an off, sure. an offhand way. It's pretty incredible. And then of course she gives the sage housewarming gift to, uh, to. Vivian, um, Vivian at that point in time and kind of is referencing the spirits. Of course, we know that Constance, you know, even by the end of the episode, we know Constance knows more than she lets on at this point in time. Um, mm-hmm. But it's also kind of funny because it reminded me that when I moved into, I've been in my my house now, my condo for two, oh, coming up on two years and someone gave us a stick of stage when we first moved in too. And it's like, it is kind of a house for me. Cleanse that house. That was kind of funny. Um, hey, sometimes you have to. And speaking of cleansing, uh, not long after this scene, do we get our first <laughs> sighting of the rubber man suit in the attic? When for some reason mm. Vivian, it's like it's like calling to her. She goes up and looks at it, just hanging there in the attic. Um, man, that is like if there is a mascot for this season, I think the rubber man suit has to be it. And might maybe even for the show in its entirety. Yep, hell yeah, I agree. I mean, that was it was in all the advertising for the season. Um, it, it's the iconic image and it becomes quite the mystery for this season but also it shows up in later seasons as well it well we know it does for sure um especially when it comes to uh, apocalypse but you know it also like it's overtaken in my mind like when i think of like full body like creepy leather suits i always used to think of pulp fiction and the gimp gimp costume yeah but now i think of rubber man and i don't know if that's i don't know how to feel about that you know what i mean (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, 
not long after this, we're kind of getting all our character introductions, and man, it just reminds you how what yeah. interesting and strong characters we have. Our first introduction to Tate, who is Ben Harmon's first patient that we see in the murder house. He, you know, has converted part of the house into his uh, psychotherapy studio, I guess. Um, and right in this immediate first introduction, he recounts that student shooter vision, and God is yes. it, it's so oh dis- my God. so disturbing. Wow, you know, oh. you forget. I mean. You remember, but you also forget. I know that sounds crazy, but you get what I'm saying. Um, yeah. Some of the language he uses in this scene, you know, talking so much about a desire for cleanliness and about bad blood, filthiness. It's, it's also kind of funny when his mom was just talking about, well, sorry, I gave something away right there already. But when Constance is talking about, you know, purebreds and stuff like that, it kind of, it, there's some interesting connections that looking back and knowing what we know now, it, you, you kind of can draw the lines a little bit more. Um, mm-hmm. And especially when it's interspersed with that montage of Violet cutting herself, it's it kind of gives you goosebumps a little bit, you know? Yeah, it's, I think it's pretty masterfully, no, no pun intended, cut, edited together because we get the Tate therapy session, um, which I like that we just, we're boom, we're just dropped right in on his session, which is helpful and interesting. Like down the line where we figure out who's who in this whole house. Um, he just appears and he's in, in places. Um, and also cutting the cutting with, um, Violet, the cutting, Violet cutting herself, getting cut back and forth between that session. And then, uh, Tate appearing in the bathroom telling her she's doing it wrong she's trying to kill herself it's just so it's just well constructed it's a great scene mm-hmm. great sequence it is a great sequence and it's i mean excellent character interactions um you know we get such definitive like we know who these characters are instantly in these conversations that mm-hmm. they have um and i don't know i mean if this is the same for you but i still remember tate as probably being my favorite evan peters character in terms of not certainly his character trajectory as disturbing as it is, but just in terms of his acting, you know, because we've, it's funny because this gets followed up with, obviously he, he has a good role in season two in Asylum, but then we go to season three in Coven where his Kyle character, we, I think both universally hated, the worst. hated. So he's definitely had his ups and downs <laughs> and I think this might've been his peak. I don't know. Yeah, we, this is probably his peak. I, I, I don't know. Um, I did well. We can go through later on, but he 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 did okay in some of the other ones, I think as well. But um, I'm not I'm not denigrating his other know, characters. To... He, he's had other characters that I, that I have yeah. very much liked too. But for me, I just think the Tate character still, at least in my mind, and we'll see if it remains the same at the end of the season, remains my favorite Evan Peters character. He I liked him in Hotel. I'm trying to remember. Um the uh guest he was oh james patrick march he he was great as james patrick march but almost as when he was james patrick march he was almost more of a it was a caricature it was a caricature and it was like it was almost more yeah. like a cameo is the wrong word because he was in a lot of episodes but he he was not like the main focus and he was a a guest he, yeah, yeah, he, yeah, pl- yeah he plays a lot more prominent role in this season and certainly in season two um yep yeah <sighs> So this is the next thing I was going to bring up because this kind of sets the precedent for future American Horror Story seasons as well is when we see Ben Harmon sleepwalk naked for the first time downstairs to start the fire. <laughs> I forgot how many times we see... Um, uh, oh, oh God, what's his D- name? Dylan McDermott, of course, yeah. Dylan McDermott. God, I was blanking. I was thinking, anyway, I forgot how many times... You were thinking of Dermot Mulroney, probably. <laughs> Dermot, who also has been in American Horror Story. Yeah. Um, man, yeah, I think that he must have had to sign some nudity contracts when this was all happening. <laughs> I mean, this is also just the first taste of... Didn't we used to say, like, how many butt sightings uh, were there in the, per episode we would uh, rank in different seasons? Anyway. Maybe we'll maybe we'll have to rank these episodes in Dylan McDermott's butt how cheeks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, you, you get the beginning, his glimpse of, like, his... His like uh, subconscious fascination with fire, and obviously we get more of this later in that mm-hmm. conversation with Dennis O'Hare. Um, of course, we also get our first Francis Conroy introduction. Now, mm-hmm. in terms of Francis Conroy, nothing is going to be for me Francis Conroy's character from the Coven series. Um, right, but Moira is still a character. I mean, Francis Conroy is fantastic in everything as well, and. 
this dynamic where she's like, you know, Ben Harmon sees her as the young, sexy maid, you know, uh, maid, and everybody else sees her as the much older version is such kind of a, a cool idea. This, I don't know, this feels to me like one of the more unique horror concepts that they brought to this season that I had that I don't remember having really seen before. Um, can you think of like a precedent in, in horror movies or anything? Uh, I can't think of anything right now. Um, what stands to me just is how that sequence was filmed. Also, you know, we kind of come around the back of um, Frances Conroy portraying uh, Moira, and then it spins around as she's introduced, and we see the younger version, um, which is really just so well done. I, I made him a note of the same thing. I mean, people who've been listening to our podcast for a while now know how much we are suckers for like an interesting, interestingly shot scene, and this is like. This is is maybe probably the first one we see of any you know throughout the series that uh, the awesome spin when we go from old Moira to young Moira is is very cool, um, and then of course Moira has <laughs> Moira has another line too where we get that uh the same kind of quote about the house living she you know she says have you ever owned a house that's old before it has a personality it has feelings mistreat it and mm-hmm. you'll regret it. Um, Again, like you said at the beginning, it's really kind of reinforcing that theme, which the writer, I mean, the writing here was so tight that it did a very good job of doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just another note I made of this scene is like, man, Ben is such a horny motherfucker. Like he's he's always just like draping himself over Vivian. He's like, he just like can't contain himself. I don't know. <laughs> I will defend him. I will defend him here. Um, like when he meets Moira, he's like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, like Vivian's like, yeah, I'm gonna hire her, and the way he sees her is just like, what? Like, this is ridiculous, Vivian. She's like, I like her. She's great. Like, she's wearing fish. She's, like, she's wearing fishnets. You're right. Like, you're right. Yeah, like it's just the most ridiculous. Like, it's a joke. Like, it has to be a joke to him, you know. Um, and I, you know, yes, he's definitely a horny dude, but after I think what they've gone through, not, I'm not defending cheating, um, by any means, but, uh, it's, you know, they're both dealing with grief in horrible, well, he's dealing with grief in a horrible way that's affecting someone else and she's shut herself off. And anyway, he definitely hasn't got laid in a year, um, and thinks this is ridiculous. I, that's how I took the scene. Mm -hmm. It's like, he's like, you're, anyway. No, no, I, I totally agree with you, but, and I think it really does, you know, they do such a good job of depicting how the two different characters are dealing with something as traumatic as uh, what we learn later is like a very late term miscarriage, and which I mean, yeah, there, there's whole movies that are around that concept and how devastating that can be to a couple and stuff like that. So it, I mean, it's it is a very strong. It, it draws on really strong and powerful emotional feelings, um, and especially like when you put it in the context of, of the, you know, Vivian being pregnant by the end of this episode and, and the things that happen in future episodes, it carries a lot of weight. That's, that's absolutely for sure. Yep. Uh, not long after this, we get kind of Tate and Ben in the, you know, uh, in the psychiatrist chair round two, um, where Ben explains why he hasn't reported Tate for school shooting visions. At this point in time, he's like, He's, you know, he, he kind of has some cock. Ben almost has some cockiness to him in his kind of psychiatry practice where he's like, you know, I've come across mm-hmm. a lot of people who've had problems like you. It doesn't necessarily mean they would do, you know, carry out their visions. Um, and I also think that what's fun, like, it's not funny at all, but what gives this, like, the school shooting aspect of this season that much more... Um, what makes it that much more grim and kind of more terrifying when you think about what's happened since then? And I'm talking about Sandy Hook. I'm talking about Stoneman Douglas. Like, so much has happened in our, our country's timeline that adds more weight to this as, like, a horror concept that, it, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, I don't know. The, it, there's, like, underlying implications that are, are even there when, you know, they didn't know this was happening at the time. Yeah, I mean, a lot of... Not a lot, but some shows have tried to tackle school shootings and the way that American Horror Story approached it in this season. Again, before, after Columbine, obviously, but before um, a number of other ones that have just gotten just horrible, horribly worse, um, with like Sandy Hook, like you mentioned. Um, it's interesting to look back on it that way now, too. Mm-hmm. Um, anytime any show tries to introduce a school shooting situation, 
as a plot line, I recoil back and I'm like, I don't know how you do this. You know, I don't know how you do that tastefully. I don't know what, you know, what are you trying to accomplish with that storyline? This is a horror show. It's fictional. Uh, it's trying to, you know, engage you and get you kind of scared and excited and to follow along. But at what point are you exploiting shootings? Is there a lesson that we're learning that we should learn? Are we, is there a gun control message? I don't know, you know, but it, it always gives me pause if any show is trying to, or movie is trying to introduce that as a, as a plot line. Absolutely. And then we also get introduced here, what Ben thinks is at the core of, of kind of Tate's uh, psychosis. Yeah, yeah. Problems, you know, issues. I don't know the best way to put it, but his, he describes it as the fear of rejection based on his, his father having left. Uh, when he was younger um, and this is something that gets brought up a couple other times even in this episode um, I'm trying to I, I don't remember myself how, how often this comes back up but I think it's something we'll think about and reference back as we continue to watch additional episodes too is, is Tate's fear of rejection and of course that is that is not like not long after that is is it jumps right into Tate and Violet together they're comparing cuts um, that's when kind of we get a little bit more backstory from Violet telling Tate, you know, about Ben cheating, and then six months later, like, that Vivian had the miscarriage at seven months. That's where we get all that information. Um, and then, of course, Ben comes in and is furious, sends Tate out, and she's forbidden from seeing them. And it seems like, you know, he was all cocky about his psychiatry up until the point where Tate starts interacting with his daughter. Then he freaks the fuck out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, rightfully so. Like, you, you know... <laughs> You're trying to protect your kid there who already is having a tough time adjusting to the new location and the new family dynamic. Um, I think <laughs> here's another part where I felt bad for Ben. He kind of goes through the ringer. He, you know, he, he walks in on Ben or sorry, he, Ben walks in on Tate and Violet, blows up at that, walks into the other room, sees Moira masturbating. He's <laughs> like, are you kidding me? Like, like nothing is going well for this guy. Um, and then he looks out the window and he sees, um, Larry. Yeah. Who, the, yeah, Larry, we don't know he's Larry yet. He's just this like, uh, burned man, mm. uh, staring back at him, telling him his family's, um, uh, in danger. Uh, also like right around the same time we see Vivian or Addie, uh, Vivian try to scold Addie for messing with her house and Addie sees the two twins behind her. Anyway, but Ben goes through the ringer right there. That's just like, come on, man. This guy's trying to do the right thing and atone and repair his family, and he's just getting tempted and screwed left and right. Right, and we get more Dylan McDermott nudity uh, coming out of the shower, <laughs> and then we also get like, I just let's just point out how gross and messy his uh, his like jerking off on like a like a desk is. <laughs> Are we critiquing his masturbation skills or his location? I was just thinking about, I don't know. It was just like, he was like looking out the window, doing it on a table. And I'm thinking like, is Moira going to clean it that up? Weird. That's kind of nasty. And then he cries. <laughs> and then he's crying the whole time. Yeah. yeah. That man, he's going, this is why I feel bad for him. That man is broken. <laughs> he's going through a lot of emotions. He has a lot of feels. I, yeah. I can respect that. But I, mainly what I was thinking about there is like, oh, that's really, who's going to clean that up? Also, why are you completely naked? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Unless he's under the spell thing. Mm -hmm. uh, but no, you're right. You're absolutely right that this happens in sequence with uh, Adelaide coming into the house again, sneaking in, and, and kind of Vivian having a little bit of a blow up at her. And we see that fire in Constance at this scene when she's like, as much as she mm -hmm. is willing to denigrate her her own kids when they are attacked in any kind of form. You know, you touch my kid one more time and I'll break your goddamn arm. That's her exact quote, and it's delivered. I remember with that such line force. too. Yeah, yeah, that was. Dope. Um, it's like you, you, that for the first time. You're like, okay, she's she's a smooth operator, but if you get on her wrong side, like this woman is gonna fucking kill you. Also, very out. I think a little out of Vivian's character. She wouldn't put her hands. She seems like a really nice person. She wouldn't hold someone's face. You know, I, I don't know. But no, I, I agree with you, but fine. I think what it's supposed to illustrate is just like how the house, like some of the creepiness of the house and the circumstances mm. are starting to get to her as well, you know, so. Okay, I'll take that. Uh, but but yeah. I, I do I do agree with you on there. Um, we also get not, not, not long after this is when Ben does try to report Tate <laughs> on the phone. And it's like he had just said he wasn't going to do it. And it's basically the only reason he's doing it is because all of a sudden he starts hanging out with Violet, which is a little bit shitty if you ask me. Um, I mean, mm. 
maybe he should have just like realized that you know reported him from the outset but instead of kind of telling him that there was nothing wrong with him and jumping straight to this seems a little bit dramatic i don't know um Mm -hmm. well we got to set up uh the antagonistic relationship that they're developing exactly so jumping a little bit just not a couple i think it's just the next scene really forward they, we kind of have this interaction with Ben and Vivian doing the murals, and this is, I think, where they have that angry sex at the end of the scene. Um, well, makeup sex? I don't know if, what we want to call it. But Vivian, one of the things we see in this episode is her kind of having a little bit of an obsession with uncovering the, the like horrifying murals in the house. She says she finds it, mm. it comforting. I was wondering if you think, like, what you think about that and, you know, what's behind her actions in this sense? That's, yeah, it's interesting. Um, I mean, if we're thinking metaphorically, she's peeling back the layers to see what's at the core of something. Like we, like we learned earlier with her doctor, you know, she's essentially, you know, all you can put up all the fancy things. We haven't really talked about this yet, but the people who lived right, the, the gay couple who lived there right before them really were more modernists. Um, so they kind of covered up a lot of things. And Vivian kind of wants to strip it down to the core and see what the foundation, quote unquote, looks like. Um, kind of like her doctor said, you need to get down to your foundation to fix things before you can like do the other stuff. So um, I think, you know, and I'm, I'm thinking about this through the whole season is, you know, this house is a metaphor for a lot of things. It's their relationship. It's their body. Um, but right now it's um, it's her kind of peeling back the layers. I think of the family dynamic and who they all really are now that they've removed themselves from their location in Boston. They're just, it's just them there. They don't have friends. They don't have their family or we don't get to meet or talk to them. We just get to see Vivian kind of like strip it down to see like what's actually there. And if it's able to be repaired. I think that's absolutely right. I think, what do you think? I think, I think that's very much right. And the other aspect of it that, that I think of and a little bit of a spoiler here. So if you're someone who hasn't yet watched this season all the way through, just beware. Um, in a little bit of a way, you also have like a little bit of Vivian seducing the house. She's like undressing the house. Mm. You know what I mean? And it's funny because later Ooh, in this like episode, that. she has sex with the house. So when you think about it with the rubber man. And so there's all there's almost this level of intimacy, like they're getting to know each other. She's repealing back and seeing what's like under that. the covers. You know what I mean? And it's it's got almost like a little bit of a, a sexual vibe, which of course then we actually dive into, you know, Ben and Ben and Vivian having sex. Um, another thing. Mm-hmm. Another thing here too. I think Ben shouts out, like uses a line against her, like I can show you the stats about how many men cheat after a miscarriage. To me, that line was also a little bit like he was using the stat to justify his cheating. Um, it's such a clinical psychiatrist like <laughs> defense. I feel like. Mm-hmm. Well, statistically, you know, I'm normal. Exactly. Doesn't make it hurt less, bro. Ab- absolutely true. And I think in this scene, we really get to the. Um, nuts and bolts of like you know the different ways that they have coped with the miscarriage kind of like you were talking about before yeah their fight i just it's so good it's so real it feels like the the acting is fantastic they're both really great and i think eventually that's kind of what's missing in later seasons Uh, but it's a really humanizing moment you know they're both coping with the grief and they can't they can move but they can't run from that and this is them like really like letting it out um, and he says this is our second chance and they do I think deep down love each other I, I really do think they do they're just both broken it, totally totally and I mean in that tr- which makes it so much hard <laughs> sorry which makes it so much harder to see the later scene when he's like she's like oh round two it's like no don't do it like you guys just sort of connected finally now this is gonna fuck it all up again right <laughs> And, and I mean, it also, I mean, you, you get to understand where Violet's coming from, too. You know, she has that scene not long after with Vivian where she's talking, kind of siding with her mom about Ben, but then... Dad being a dickhead, yeah. Mm-hmm, and then, you know, at the same time, she like, I don't know, she, she she's clearly in search of something as well and probably feels neglected to a certain degree because her parents are dealing with their own shit, you know what I mean? Um, yep. And then we have the scene in which, you know, Tate and Violet are, are planning to, like, scare the, the school bullies. Um, one thing that I didn't remember is you get that, like, weird scene of Tate saying Helter Skelter. And this jumps back to yeah. some of our future seasons where we get the Manson uh, tie-ins a little bit. But I thought... Cult. Yeah. yeah it's uh, it's kind of a little bit like, like, where does that come from here? You know what I mean? 
So let's talk about that scene for a second. Obviously, she plays Tate's plan, lures him down to the basement to get the, you know, get drugs for the bully. What an idiot. Um, yeah, that girl's the worst. Come to my basement for drugs. <laughs> yeah, she's just, she's okay. pretty gullible. Um, and then we get like, you know, the thing with the lights. Tate's in the chair, and there seems to he seems to like channel the at this point what we think of as like a weirdo Franken baby that's in the basement. Um, it ends up scratching her face, and it ends up being like more than Violet can handle, essentially. Up until this point, she's told him she's, like, not afraid of anything. She's a badass and stuff. And I think this is, like, a, a realization for her that, like, Tate is not the comfort maybe she thought he was kind of going to be, just, like, kind of like an edgy kid. I'm thinking of, like... Um, he scares the shit out of her. Yeah. yeah, I'm, like, thinking... At this point in time, she's, like, thinking he's, like, you know, the kid from the wrong side of the tracks in the breakfast club or something like that. But, no, he's yeah. he's got some other shit going on. <laughs> yeah. Don't date your dad's patients. Mm. <laughs> yeah, but at the same time, it makes you realize she's probably doing it in some ways to spite her dad too, right? Just totally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there's other dynamics going on. Um, and then we get the scene that you talk about, uh, you already talked about in bed with uh, round two. Uh, the rubber man comes in. She thinks it's Ben. Um, we maybe know better um, because he's downstairs with the burners, you know, again with the fire. Mm-hmm. Um the rubber man has these like piercing blue eyes. I looked this up. This this guy was played by uh, in, in the actual actor that was in the suit was played by an actor slash model named Riley Schmidt. He was the same guy who uh, wore the green meaning suit in Scream Queens. So Ryan Murphy mm. used him on other occasions. Um, but you kind of have this scene where also Vivian is on some medication, um, and you know she she's like. Not entirely there. I mean, because it's kind of out of character for her to kind of like. She, I think she's taking those hormones that the doctor was trying to get her to take in the beginning to get pregnant, right? But she's like, I don't want that. But then, but yeah. then she took him anyway, right? Uh, meanwhile, of course, Ben is downstairs burning himself, and Constance is in the house um, yeah. to save him. So that it's like weird. she's like midwifing. What's yet, ha- she's like midwifing what's happening there. So that's mm-hmm. creepy as hell. Mm-hmm. You're not going to be happy with the product, Constance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> while, not long after this, while on a run, I think it's maybe the next day, Ben is trailed by Larry Harvey, played by Dennis O'Hare, the burn man, um, who I have to say, you know, mm-hmm. for all his terminal cancer and burns, is in surprisingly good shape to even remotely keep up with Dylan McDermott's very fit Ben Harmon <laughs> as he's running through the Los yeah. Angeles sales. <laughs> Um, and we do get those details about his terminal brain cancer and him being let out of prison for a triple homicide because of his brain cancer. Is that something that happens? I don't know. That seemed a little odd to me that like they'd just be like, you have brain cancer. Go, go out into the world. I Come feel on. like you're on – you can be on, yeah, maybe like house arrest or something, but you, you're not going to be driving around to other people's homes, especially not to the scene of your crime. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Larry starts talking about the voices he heard. We get that flashback to how he basically set his entire family on fire because of the voices in the murder house. And it makes us start to think, you know, with – sleepwalking Ben's connection to the fireplace and the burners that maybe he's starting to have those kind of same premonitions. And I think Larry does a little bit to further that idea in his head that maybe he's capable of something like that. Um, Because you see that little smile, that kind of uh, sly smile at the end of the exchange after Ben has left that maybe implies he's being disingenuous. Um, You know, at this point in time, we don't really know. Yep. Um, and then, really, the episode ends with, with two kind of uh, punctuation Reveals. marks. The first glimpse of, of the first glimpse of the Constance Moira dynamic as she's stealing Vivian's earrings. And we have a line here that when I uh, when they said it, I was just like, "Wow!" Man, that's like that's when you think of like a high concept horror movie or something like that, or a line that just speaks for itself. Don't make me kill you again is one of those lines that is just like has so Love much it. subtext. It's phenomenal. Such, I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's unusual. I mean, it's making me realize like how unusual it is for us to like really be like fawning over the writing of American Horror Story. But you know, in, in this in this episode, this least, is why we started a podcast. <laughs> yeah, it, it was it was it, it's it's so good. It's how good it used to be. And then, of course, the final section where we learn that Vivian is pregnant. At this point in time, we don't know you know which instance is it round one or round two. We're not entirely sure, but it is a big reveal, and it's kind of a eerie reveal when we know a little bit about the house and and how babies fit into this season so man that was the pilot episode any kind of you know lingering thoughts you have after going through it all 
I think just, you know, looking at this episode at the end of it, knowing what happens, the questions I do have in my mind that I know some of the answers to, but I think people who haven't seen everything else, you know, you want to know who's dead, who's alive. Because clearly we know that some of these people are dead. We saw the twins. Those are the one, you know, or the one set of people that we know for sure are supposed to be dead. Right. Um, the other people, you know, I'm not going to say names. We hear Moira, like, what died once before and because of her dual... We know there's something uh, supernatural going on with her, right? Right. Um, so it'll be interesting to see who actually is dead, who's alive out of all of these characters. And if we meet more of these people um, uh, that are referenced in the house, um, what on earth is... And um, I'm going to say the name of it because it is in the credits, but the Infantata is the name of the monster. And like, what is that thing? Who is it? Is it a, is it a whom? A who, you know, curious what the story is behind that and why it exists or how it exists. And it still exists today as it existed in 1978. So this thing has been around for a while. Interested about that. Um, and then, like, who can see what, obviously? Like, who said, can you, since like, Addie was apparently able to see the ghosts and Ben and Vivian see Moira differently, you know, who can see what, when, you know, that's also, will be interesting to see how that unfurls and then what, and then obviously what this pregnancy is going to mean and do for the dynamic of the family. Right now, it seems like a wonderful thing, of course, because it's, they call them a rainbow baby after you have your miscarriage, if you get pregnant again and deliver that baby healthy, that's your rainbow baby. So this is kind of like their second chance also in this house. Ultimately, we'll see what happens. Right. No, I mean, you get these themes of uh, differing perspectives, like you were saying. You get these themes of life and death, you know, death and rebirth. Um, fire. Uh, you know, th- these images that you kind of have, you know, burned into your brain, really, when you think about reflecting on season one. Um, there's so many motifs and things like that that really get established in this opening episode that get carried on through this through this opening season and through future seasons of American Horror Story as well, which is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. We've talked about the writing. Yeah. We've talked about, um, you know, these really powerful character performances and how these characters feel understandable to us, maybe in some ways that characters in future seasons aren't quite as relatable. Um, I don't know. It was a really great introduction to characters that really kind of stand out in my mind and I've missed. And I, I really enjoyed, uh, I really enjoyed rewatching season one, episode one. So with that being said, should we do Dylan McDermott's butt cheeks? Uh, what do you think? Unless you uh, no, <laughs> <laughs> we could do baby. We could uh, do baby ears. We could do what are some of the other things that we could do? Uh, r- r- um, I was thinking rubber man suits. Okay, rubber man. Rubber rubber, rubber suits. man. Rubber suits is good. Let's do that first. Um, you want to go first? Uh, how do we do it out of five? Out of five, yeah. All right, I'm giving this a f- uh, four point five. Why are you not giving it the full five? Can I ask? Um, I, nothing's perfect. Um, there may be an episode later in the season that I get close to that though. So you're like holding out a little bit is, is how I'm viewing this. That's fair. That's fair. I would. Okay. I'll go 4.75. I'm going to give it the full five out of five. I think that they, I think that they nailed this pilot and I think that's why Mm -hmm. it drew so many of us into this show to begin with. I think the writing was great. I think the characters, while certainly some of them had like a little bit out there elements that like made them stand out, that the acting was was good enough that it didn't feel that way. Um, it really sets up a lot of mysteries for the rest of the season. I think I think it's it, it's 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 not far from perfect. It's not far I, from perfect. Yeah, I'll tell you if I if I was uh, writing this in 2011, I would have given it a five easily. Fair enough, and I think it's that's that's fair. Looking back in retrospect, too. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, man, there we I, go, yeah. uh, I'm so excited. Oh, wait, we we have, have an hour. I know we have a full slate of twelve episodes this season, so plenty to recover. I think that you know, especially diving into episode one, there was a lot to talk about. I don't imagine that all of our episodes will be this long necessarily, but I've really enjoyed revisiting it with you. I mm-hmm. think we'll have a lot of fun this week. I have a lot, um, very much hoping that uh, folks join our conversation, join our rewatching, send us things at thisamericanhorrorstory at gmail dot com, and check us out on Facebook at this American Horror Story Podcast. Um, 
But until next week, man, uh, I'm just going to be excited to watch episode two. Chris, between now and then, where can people find you? I'm on Instagram and Twitter, uh, at Chris Husted. Chris with a K. How about you, Tyler? I am on Twitter, at TJMoss11. And please uh, rate us, review us on iTunes, Stitcher. Um, I think I did determine Spotify does not have podcast ratings. But wherever you can review us, we do appreciate your positive reviews and your feedback. If you have any issues, we do the best we can. We're just trying to create a community of uh, fans who love this show. So happy to be here back with you guys. What a fun time. We'll catch up with you next week. Until then, happy holidays.